You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, it's been a while with all of this uh, coronavirus, COVID lockdowns, and all kinds of shenanigans that's been going on in the world. Uh, We live in a world that is uh, corrupted, uh, that there is things that don't go our way as we plan. Also, in addition to that, I've been working on my dissertation, completed it, finished it for the Doctor of Ministry, from Concordia Theological Seminary in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that's all done. Now we're ready to get back and get going. And we want to start a new lecture series on Galatians. So we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now there's six chapters, so we will be in these verses for quite some time now. Now, it's in the book of Galatians where Luther himself writes his greater commentary, lecturing on this epistle from 1531 to 1535. This is called the Greater Galatians Commentary. And in fact, it's it's really part of our whole Lutheran confession of what we confess to be true from the scriptures, what we believe, what we confess, and what we teach in the evangelical churches of the Reformation. So why are we looking at Galatians? Well, because in Galatians we have the clarity of the doctrine of justification. This is what Paul was attempting to accomplish for those who had rejected the gospel and gone after a different gospel, had gone after a different teaching on justification. And so the same thing with Luther in his day. He was once again bringing clarity, like Paul did, to those who heard in Galatia, the baptized. And so we're going to look at this uh, epistle with the understanding of the doctrine of justification being laid out clearly in this letter. And when we're talking about the doctrine of justification through faith alone in Christ alone, this is the foundational teaching of the church on earth. This is the teaching in which we receive the forgiveness of sins from Christ, accomplished by his work. And we also receive true peace in the conscience that is troubled because of our own sin. And when we talk about justification, we're talking about righteousness. Now, there are two kinds of righteousness, if you will. There is the active righteousness on the one hand, in which you work and you achieve, and you do things. This would be in the way of the law. On the other hand, there is the passive righteousness that is given to you as a gift from God. This is in the way of the gospel. So when we look at the active achieved righteousness, this is a, a righteousness based upon works, efforts, things that you do, things that you refrain from doing, so that you can Look at your own actions and activities. But the passive righteousness 
is a received righteousness by faith. It is given as a gift. It is accomplished by Christ and given to you. But this is the gospel message, that Jesus satisfied all the demands of the law, both in what he did and in what he refrained from doing, and, of course, what was done to him. Now, this was Jesus in his work, what Jesus did for you. Now, the gospel, of course, is that message, this good news that Christ alone is the only one who can satisfy perfectly and wholly all of the requirements of the law, God's divine will. And then he does this in your stead. And then he dies in your place instead of you. So the wages of sin is death. The consequences of not fulfilling the demands of the law is, of course, separation from God. This is what sin does. Sin brings separation from God. But God is the one who seeks and he saves the lost, as Jesus did in the garden with Adam and Eve, the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He came to find Adam and Eve when they had rebelled against him, separating themselves from the life of God and hiding when they heard the word. When they heard his voice without the promise, they were terrified. They were troubled in their consciences and they hid from God. And they tried to cover up their own sins by their own works. And so the very first works of humanity that was done in opposition to the works of God was to make those fig leaf clothing, the clothing that was sewn together with fig leaves to try to cover their guilt before God. But of course, it's in the beginning that Christ came, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Word. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he came to Adam and Eve, and he gave them the promise, the promise that they were to cling to, the promise of the seed who would crush the serpent's head. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, where we see this, we, we know that we have this whole understanding of God's promise and faith that clings to the promise, that it's not the work of Adam and Eve that make them righteous, but rather it is God who makes them righteous. In fact, this doctrine of justification is prior to the fall. For when God, who alone is holy, who alone is righteous, when he created Adam and Eve out of nothing, when he formed the man from the ground, and he built the woman from the side of the man, God, who is righteous, bestowed his righteousness upon them as a gift. So therefore, this whole doctrine of justification goes all the way back to the very beginning, prior to the fall, that the righteousness that Adam and Eve had before the fall into sin was a received righteousness from God. It is after the fall into sin with the rebellion and the bringing of original sin into creation that Adam and Eve lost the original righteousness. So let's put that in perspective that when we talk about original sin, this is after the loss of original righteousness. Now, the original righteousness that Adam and Eve had in the beginning was a gift. It was received. It was passive from God. 
from God as a gift, not something that they achieved. It was not an act of righteousness. They did something before God to gain his favor. By the very fact that God created them out of nothing and bestowed his righteousness upon them, they already had God's favor. But it is that the devil, the one who deceived Eve to rebel against God, to speak a different word, a word that brings death and separation, the word that brings sin into this creation. And so Eve heard a different word that Satan spoke and said, yeah, look, it's good. And then Eve saw it with her own eyes, and then she herself declared that it was good. This is where original sin enters in. Now, all of the the children of Adam and Eve, all their posterity, inherit this sin, so that we are in this situation, in this state. We have inherited this original sin from them. We are now conceived and born in the image and likeness of Adam and Eve, who fell into sin. All right, this is our background understanding of justification. It's the doctrine that goes all the way back to the foundation of creation, even prior to the fall into sin, that the righteousness that Adam and Eve already had before they did anything was a gift from God. God had created them in his image and likeness. And then, of course, after the fall into sin, God gives them the promise that the seed would crush the serpent's head. And faith in this promise is then counted as righteousness. They are justified by faith alone. So this is not a new doctrine that Paul came up with. It's not a new doctrine that Martin Luther invented. Instead, it is the doctrine that was taught ever since the beginning in the first five books of Moses. You have this going down to the time of Abraham, of course, in Genesis chapter 15, that Abraham believed and God justified him, that he was reckoned, he was declared righteous because of his faith. Now, when we look at the book of Galatians or the epistle, the letter to the baptized in Galatia, we are looking at this teaching where Paul wants to clarify and he wants to make a distinction between a false justification that was promoted by false apostles, false teachers, with a false gospel. They were teaching the people in Galatia, the baptized, the converts, the pagans who had come to faith in Christ as a gift. These Judaizers, these false apostles, were teaching them that they had to do something else in addition to the gift of the righteousness received by faith alone. So that it was something else, it was faith and some other effort, some other work, some other deed that they have done or that they would need to do in order to be righteous before God or to continue to be righteous before God. So again, we want to make a clear distinction here between active righteousness, that's an achieved righteousness by your own efforts, versus a passive righteousness. That's a received righteousness by faith, being granted the righteousness that comes from God. Now, in fact, when we talk about these distinctions, this is what makes a theologian. Theology is about making these proper distinctions so that we can clearly hear and learn. And it's not that we just want to have the pure gospel in an abstract way just to have it, but it's so that Christ can be given that Christ can be received, 
that the benefits that Christ has won for us on the cross can be given to us now. So he gains for us this salvation, this forgiveness, this eternal life. And now he gives it to us by the means of the gospel that is proclaimed, that is preached, that is written, that is spoken, that is administered in water with the word in baptism. And of course, given in the bread and the wine, receiving the very body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, this is where we are looking. We are looking at what Christ has done for us, and he continues to do for us. But the false teachers want to set our eyes upon ourselves and what we do for Jesus. So this is the background here. Now, let's go ahead and let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to work with uh, my own translation of this. So this might be a little bit different than your ESV or your NIV or your KJV or whatever you may be reading. But let's look at uh, verse 1. Paul, a sent one, not from men, nor through man. All right, now we want to pause right here before we get too far and get ahead of ourselves. We want to look at this, this whole phrase right here, what Paul is saying in this first half of the verse, that he is a sent one. That is an apostle. Now, usually we translate that as an apostle, but usually we think of this as an, as an office, which it is. It truly is an office. But sometimes we just use this word so often that we forget exactly what it is. To be an apostle is to be a sent one. Now, in particular, Jesus had sent out the 11 apostles. Of course, remember, uh, Judas Iscariot had went AWOL and betrayed Jesus. But it's at the resurrection where Jesus uh, stands bodily before them and sends them out. The apostles are the sent ones to go to the ends of the earth, to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in the context there of being sent out to baptize in the name of God. For Paul is writing to the baptized, those who have received this gift of being named and claimed by the true and living God. Now, an apostle is an eyewitness of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So one of the ones who had been there when Jesus rose from the dead bodily that he overcame death and the grave. And then he sends them specifically, in particular. You see this, of course, also in John's gospel where Jesus breathes on them and says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And of course, in John's gospel, chapter 20, Thomas wasn't present at that time, but later on he came back and he was part of those in this office, the sent ones, the apostles to be sent out by the Christ who has been raised from the dead. They're eyewitnesses. Now, so Paul, we know that uh, he was known as the Saul, the rabbi, that uh, before he was a rabbi who persecuted the church. He wanted to destroy this gospel message. He was one who followed in the pharisaical way of this active achieved righteousness. And so Paul would boast in the righteousness that he had achieved by his own efforts, that he was blameless, all these things that he had done. 
to try and gain God's favor. Now, this is Paul when he was a rabbi, teaching in a rabbinical way about trying to achieve righteousness that the law is given so that you can do it, so that you can gain favor with God. Now, that's his former way of life, persecuting the church. But now, here he is teaching and preaching. So Paul, when he was a rabbi and he's persecuting the church, he was not part of the original 11 or 12, if you count Judas Iscariot, the 12 disciples who were intimate students of Jesus, who heard all that he taught so that they could teach others everything that Jesus had commanded. And so Paul was not one of the original 12. And so when Paul first came to Galatia and he was preaching and proclaiming Jesus, well, then he went on his way, but then false apostles came in or false teachers came in. Those who claimed to be either uh, ones who had seen the resurrected Jesus or ones who had heard the apostles, ones who were against Paul even maybe before when Paul was persecuting the church. And so Paul immediately is going to establish his call, the call of Paul. So when we talk about being sent, we're, talk of, we're talking about the doctrine of the call, that it is God who calls a man into the preaching office. Of course, when Paul was a rabbi, he was contrary to what Jesus was teaching. But then he saw the resurrected Christ. So Christ appeared to Paul as a rabbi, just like the pre-incarnate Christ appeared to Moses as the burning bush or to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and all the prophets of old who saw the vision of God, that God gave the gift of the divine revelation, that he comes to announce the good news, that he comes to do what we cannot do, to deliver us from our own sin and to deliver us out of the grave and to deliver us from the hand of the devil. So Paul wants to establish immediately that he is an apostle. He is a sent one. Now notice that Paul is making a distinction between two different types of men who have been sent, who are coming and claiming to be a preacher, a man who has been placed into the preaching office, the teaching office. And so on the one hand, you have those who are sent from men, and on the other hand, you have those who are sent through man. Now, here's the distinction. When we talk about being sent from man, this is a teacher who does not have a divine call. This is a teacher who is not called by God. This is a teacher who is called from other human beings, merely on this horizontal playing field of this world, in this corrupted creation. So there are men who say, hey, it'd be good if you go out and you become a pastor, but yet this person is not of the church. This person may be in the church, but if not officially in an office of the church, but just decides out of his own will he has been called because somebody has then told him so. Now, those who are sent from men are those who do not have a call from God. They are not called servants of the word with a divine call from God. Instead, it's just merely uh, human beings getting together and saying, hey, why don't you go do this? And somebody says, hey, that's a great idea. So they show up without a call. Now, this is contrasted with those who are sent through men. 
Now, when you're sent through men, you do have a divine call. Now, let me explain. When we talk about a divine call, we talk about God, who is the one who places a man into this preaching office. God is the one who sends the man as a preacher. Now, when we talk about this divine call, there are two types of a divine call. Either it is mediated, that is through means, or it is immediate, that is directly from God. In the Old Testament, when you have a prophet like uh, Moses, Moses has an immediate call, directly called by God at the burning bush. This is Exodus chapter 3, where God calls Moses, and then he sends Moses, placing Moses into this office, this preaching office, this prophetic office, in which God's messenger now speaks the message that God gives him to speak. So that's the divine call. Moses had an immediate call, a direct call from God. Now, on the other hand, a mediated call is still a divine call, but it is through the means of of men. So, for example, this is what Paul is teaching Titus about this preaching office, this pastoral office. In his letter to Titus, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, in order that you might put what remained into order and that you might appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he gives the qualifications for an elder, which of course he also refers to as an overseer or God's steward, the steward of the mysteries, that this is one who must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he would be able to give instruction in healthy doctrine, and also that he would be able to to rebuke those who contradict it. See, so here, Paul in Titus is giving these instructions of a mediated call, calling through instrumental means. It is still a divine call where God is placing this man into the preaching office, the pastoral office. And likewise, Paul, the apostle, also instructs Timothy in this mediated call when he gives the qualifications for the bishop, the overseer, the preacher in this preaching office in chapter 3 of his first letter to Timothy. Thus, Paul will list out the qualifications for the man who is to be placed into this office of overseer, the bishop, the one who oversees this teaching of the apostolic doctrine. The doctrine that gives all glory to Jesus for what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross and what Jesus continues to do, giving to us the forgiveness of sins, salvation, life eternal, and adoption as sons. So Paul gives these qualifications, and this man is one who is to be able to be taught. And he is going to then teach this same doctrine that the apostles themselves have taught clearly and purely. Now, that's the mediated call. So, when we're looking at Galatians, Paul is in his office preaching Christ and him crucified so that faith would be given as a gift that those who hear the word, the Holy Spirit would work to open ears to open eyes and open hearts, to believe and trust in Christ himself. In fact, 
in the book of Acts, when Paul gathers the pastors, those men who have been placed into this preaching office from Ephesus, he assures them that he has been proclaiming this message, the message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Then he encourages them to continue to preach this doctrine of justification, that it's the righteousness of Christ, a passive righteousness that's given as a gift to us and received by faith. For he tells them in Acts chapter 20, saying this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops, that is overseers, that is preachers in this preaching office, that the Holy Spirit has made you bishops to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then he warns them that there will come wolves, wolves that are fierce from among themselves, who will not spare the flock. Now notice that when Paul is talking to these men who've been placed in the office through a mediated call, they still have received a divine call from God. It is the Holy Spirit himself who has placed them into this preaching office. So that's the distinction we're trying to make here, is that when Paul says that he is a sent one, not sent from men, that would be without a divine call, but of one's own uh, will or desire to do something that has not been given him to do. On the other hand, Paul also says that he was not sent through a man, that is through a mediated call that's still divine. It's a divine call from God working through the instrumental means of humanity, through the church and placing a man into the office. But on the other hand, now let's keep all of this in perspective when we're looking at Paul's letter to the baptized in Galatia, in the regions of Galatia, that Paul is making a distinction that he has been sent not from men, that being without a divine call, with, with one's own will to do something that hasn't been given him to do, or somebody else has placed him into that, but not God. Thus, Paul has a legitimate call, a proper call, a divine call from God himself. But Paul also wants to make it clear that it's not even through the mediation of a man, through uh, the church placing a man into that office as a mediated call. Now, again, to be clear here, those men who've been placed in the office through the man Titus, who was a bishop, or through the man Timothy, who was a bishop, like the Ephesian elders, the pastors placed in that preaching office, they have a legitimate divine call. But Paul himself is saying that he is just as one of the apostles, one of the original apostles sent directly by Jesus. In fact, Paul himself is an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ, and he is directly sent by Christ. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 1, and once again look at this text in this light. Paul, a sent one, not from men, nor through a man, 
but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, it may be that there were those false teachers who were accusing Paul of not having a divine call. Maybe they were spreading rumors, saying, this Paul is a little sketchy. Remember, one minute he's persecuting the church, now he says he's on our side. Therefore, what we have in this letter is it appears that Paul is addressing these skeptics, or even addressing what could become controversial before it ever does. And furthermore, he is on the same playing field with the apostles who were directly called by the living Lord, the resurrected Christ. And one final note, when Paul mentions that the Father raised Jesus out of the dead, this is a reference to the doctrine of justification. As Paul writes to the baptized in Romans chapter 4, Christ was handed over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.